Now, the Trail Talk Podcast. Anything and everything snowmobiling. From UpstateSnow.com. Here's meteorologist Rich Lupia. It's another Trail Talk Tuesday here on UpstateSnow.com. January 18th, 2022 is the date. And I have as my guest today, one of my closest friends, probably my closest snowmobile buddy besides my own son, Upstate Snow Jr., i.e. Zach. Uh, We have taken so many rides together, some of the best snowmobile rides we've had together. We've got all kinds of war stories promoting snowmobiling across upstate New York for what seems like forever. He is the president of the uh, Chamber of Commerce uh, in Indian Lake, New York. You can find him up there. Darren Har, ilsnow.com. Welcome to the Trail Talk Podcast, sir. Oh, thanks. It's it's great to be back on. I guess this makes me a repeat offender. <laughs> oh, man. I can tell this is going to be good already. Uh, one note for folks that uh, follow the Trail Talk Podcast. We actually did a long 40, 45-minute podcast last year. But Darren wasn't on last year at all because there was an echo problem that I was not able to resolve that came through in the recording, and then the season got underway, and we never got the chance to re-record. I never had you on last season, so I don't know. Maybe this is the first of two this season. I don't know. we got to find some way to make it up. Yeah, I mean, we've we've gone a year, we circled the wagons, and we're coming back. So uh, let's have at it. And speaking of comeback, how about winter? Talk about the comeback. One month ago today, staring down Christmas and New Year's, we had the blowtorch on. There was barely any riding anywhere. And not that it's great right now. It's a lot better than it was. But, man, um, you know, is it going to go like 2006, 2007? Or is it going to go like uh, 20, uh, 2001, 2002, 2011, 2012? I mean, what are you seeing in your weather crystal ball as we look towards the back nine of winter? Well, you, it's it's kind of funny because I'm a big fan of saying all winters are unique and in comparison, you know, comparisons can only go so far, but... When I'm looking back, I'm thinking about what happened last winter. Um, we had the, the record warm temperatures going into the fall. The winter got off to a very slow start. Um, of course, there was that big, really big snowstorm that happened last uh, December that didn't happen this year in parts of uh, uh, upstate New York, south of where I live. But you take that away. It got washed um, away in the Christmas Eve massacre, right. 55 degrees, two to three inches of rain, flooding on Christmas Day. Yeah. Let's not even go there. I mean, you want to right. talk about the waste of an, a colossal snowstorm. That was one of the biggest meteorological wastes I have ever seen. I, I thank agree. you. Thank you for reminding me of that. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so anyway, now, you know, after, you know, after you got... Christmas out of the way, you know, we've gotten some uh, seasonably cold blast. And I remember about this time last year into early January, I was looking at the same uh, five, six inches of snow on the ground for three weeks. 
And then Martin Luther King Day happened. Well, we got a snowstorm there and it kind of kicked it off uh, for the rest of the January into February. And I mean, we're looking at something for Martin Luther King uh, this year if that materializes. So, you know, it, it's kind of, um, you know, deja vu all over again in certain respects. So, yeah, it's um, a lot of eerie similarities. Yeah, for sure. So um, the shorter winters, the shorter winters, I mean, obviously there is some climate variability. There is some climate change. The, cli the climate is always changing. But one of the reasons why I started Upstate Snow 10 years ago was because we're in that transition area. Upstate New York is that transition area. Usually in Canada, you don't have to worry four or five months out of the year. To the south in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, West Virginia, catch as catch can. Upstate New York was that transition zone. Now it seems like the zones are maybe shifting around a little bit. What are your thoughts on that? And what do you see in winters to come just based on your 20 plus years, 25 years in Indian Lake? What do you see as the trends? Okay, well, I mean, let's let's start with the obvious. Uh, apparently, uh, apparently um, you know, the, the March riding hasn't been as good as it has you know, in, in, in quite you know several years now, and it seems like we're losing it off the uh, the front end as well. Um, whether that's going to be permanent or part of a, a decadal cycle, I think that's yet to be seen. Uh, it can obviously still get cold in places. I mean, we've seen some bitter cold up up in Alaska uh, so far this winter. But um, there's also a couple other uh, truths out there that don't get talked about as much. Uh, number one, the main driver of winter is not climate change or, or whatever. It's the fact that the Earth, um, the North Pole is tilted, what, 23 and a half degrees or something away from the sun. <laughs> Yes, yes, so it will get cold. Uh, it's just a matter of how cold it gets and how much it snows. But uh, I'm sorry, I, I just had to laugh at that one. But anyway, carry on. I mean, that's that's not going away. Right. And another fundamental fact, at least here in the Adirondacks, is we have the elevation. And whether we have great winters here or lousy winters here, we're going to have more snow and have it stay longer in the Adirondacks and Tug Hill than other places. That's a, that's a, whether there's a lot of snow or a little snow. And the reason why I live here is that, um, you know, on average, whether it's a great winter or a lousy winter, I have miles of riding outside my door or a short trailer distance. So, um, you know, the strategy for me is, if we're going to have um, less winter on either side at the beginning of the end or the end, it's like, well, maybe I should take more days to go riding while we still have snow. Yes. Uh, so that's, so... that's my strategy. And mm -hmm. I always encourage people, uh, if, if we have snow here and you feel like riding, don't wait. Just go ahead and do it. And I think that's a bigger, I think that's a big trend that I've noticed over decades that, it's more of like a day trip thing now or a weekend trip. It's not, you know, I, I think disappearing are the days where people can come up, you know, around Christmas and, and stay through New Year's or whatever and expect to have solid riding. I think it's more of a wait until it happens 
it definitely, you know, if you want to put your marbles into it, it's more like the end of January, you know, later half of January into February. That seems to be the sweet spot. So mm-hmm. I always recommend that people, you know, come up and ride when they feel like it and when we have it here. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So um, one thing that I wanted to talk about, now that you have a taco, otherwise known as a Toyota Tacoma, hence the word taco, um, you have something in which to haul sleds. um, But if there's not much in Indian Lake and there's not much elsewhere nearby and there's not much on Tug Hill, where do you go? Well, we got it on Tug Hill now, and here's the thing. I mean, I mean, I know some people who are willing to travel out to um, the Rocky Mountains to hit snow. Um, I, I guess over the years, I've kind of gotten to the point where I've seen it all, and I just kind of have other things to do, other hobbies to kind of pass the time away until it gets snow. And like I, you know, like I'm, I'm fond of telling people, it's like I, I get what I'm looking for eventually, even if I have to sit there and wait. And uh, I, I guess I'm just patient, and I just realize that it is going to come at some point, and it looks like it may be turning around now. So, you know, I guess I'm just patient. I guess that's just the operative word, patient. All right, so speaking of patience, you have patiently been crafting a dedicated audience, bringing people to Indian Lake. This is probably one of the best tourism drives that Indian Lake and that the Adirondacks has probably ever had. I might be overstating a little bit, but ILSnow.com has had millions of hits over the last 20 plus years. Tell me about how you got started with ILSnow.com. Give me a little bit of uh, how it's gone throughout the years and what you see for ILSnow.com in the future. Okay, well, back when I, I moved back up to Indian Lake, uh, 1998, and I moved up at the end of that winter, and I was just all brimming with excitement as to how much riding I would get the following winter. And um, back then, uh, bulletin boards were a bigger thing than they are now. I think I think social media is wiping that out. But I remember... Um, Trailconditions.com, you might remember that one from back in the day. Yes, I remember it. And this was the first winter I was in Indian Lake full-time, and I was going to ride until the wheels fall off, and I wanted to uh, report my findings to people, and Trailconditions.com was there. I would um, post my trail report, but then like within a matter of um, hours or even minutes, my trail report would be buried under other trail reports from not necessarily Indian Lake, but, you know, Tug Hill all around. So I just kind of came up with the idea of just cobbling together a website of my own. And to this day, I I think enough time has gone by. I don't really remember how I came up with the name Isle Snow for it, except for the fact that it was probably the 10th or 11th uh, domain name that I tried. (laughs) Um, Indian Lake Snow was taken. I mean, every, every variant seemed to be taken. I guess IL Snow was the first one that was not taken, so I took it, and I had a old Packard Bell computer and dial-up internet, and um, yeah, I just, you know, it's funny. It's like I, I, I go back and look at it. Um, 
look on the archives and just see how how silly the website looked back then. It wasn't much of a website design, but the information there was golden. And I thought one thing that would help out a lot was my knowledge of, uh, of, of weather forecasting. I thought that would be the secret sauce. That would make my website stand out from uh, different you know, other websites. And it had to be accurate too. And yeah, you know, I know the old, the old adage of uh, weathermen are the only people who are paid to to get it wrong, but, <laughs> you know, but you know, I, think, I think in my meteorology career, I you know, I was paid to be right. I was right often enough for them to pay me. Um, but circling back to my website, um, I was obviously accurate enough to, to gather a following. And people were following it, and they were able to, you know, to hit Moose River Plains earlier than they would have otherwise because they can anticipate a snow coming um so i was kind of chugging along with that and I, i'd make these homemade business cards and distribute them around town and and just talk to anybody i could about it but my my big break for isle snow came um after the 2002 uh three season where adirondack life wanted to interview me because they you know we had that historically cold and snowy winter and they wanted my thoughts on it and and i kind of thought about it and i was willing to do the story because it was it was you know it was good publicity so i went back to them and said yeah i'll do your article but i have a little website i want to uh, plug for it um and they were more than happy to do it and then you know that interview got me in front of a, a larger audience and to this date um you know, people tell me that that's where they first heard of me was on Adirondack Life and the web traffic. That was when it experienced the the, the, the hockey stick growth or exponential growth, where instead of hundreds of people looking at it, thousands of people were looking at it. And it's just kind of built on itself ever since then. And it's been going on for for over 20 years. I mean, to the point where in the middle of the winter, I'm good for for at least 20 to you know 30,000 unique visitors per month and to get those you know over you know those millions of hits each winter so it's really just been a a, a compounding thing and i think what keeps it going is that i have you know i have really good information and i'm really enthusiastic about it and i think pretty much the only way <laughs> you can keep me from doing ilsnow.com is to kill me i mean seriously it's just <laughs> it's something it's something i just love to do it's just it, it's me i mean it's it's me and it's i see no end in sight and and going forward um you know i, I don't know what the next breakthrough is but i see yeah, I, I see no end to my enthusiasm, no end to my desire to keep doing it. And every time people say, hey, you know, I was able to get another ride because of you, that just, it's just rocket fuel. It just keeps me going. That's just so awesome. And with you being a degreed meteorologist and myself being a degreed meteorologist, both of us trained by the legends at the University at Albany, SUNY Albany, your yeah. class of 94, I'm class of 97. Um, you know, that experience with us being meteorologists for decades and with us constantly forecasting all this stuff, yes, we still get it wrong, but we've been doing this so long, um, even just with the recent lake effect event that we had, 
I bullseyed the you know the real heavy stuff, but kind of missed around the edges, which for lake effect, it tends to happen more often than you think. But it's that good information and that trustworthy information that you can't get anywhere else that I think really ultimately is the hook. Not just for snowmobilers, but just for people wanting to know the weather up there during the winter. And I think um, I have something I've seen develop over the past uh, decade or now or are people who aren't necessarily degreed meteorologists, but they have so much information at their fingertips that they can they can actually look at the models and then kind of like listen to what we put out and kind of kind of put together a, 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 a good understanding of what goes on and of understanding perhaps where, OK, maybe we didn't get it right for every aspect of it but that they can understand why the science that goes into it maybe the intuition and um you know the modelology has come a long way over uh over the decades but it's not going to capture all the small scale details especially as you go into the longer range but you know there's 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 relatively few surprises and i think I think as time goes on, people are able to make more informed decisions based on what they're looking at and what they hear us saying and maybe have a bigger understanding as to why maybe some things don't go as well as, as thought. So it's it's really uh, something amazing to watch. All right, next thing that I want to talk about, the haters, not the raiders, the haters. You have a few people that... Uh, don't particularly care for you, at least on social media, at least on the computer. I have that myself. But yet, me personally, I have never had anyone come up to me and wave a finger in my face and say, you blank, blank, this, that, etc., etc. And I don't think you've really had that, you know, either. But just go through, um, you know, some of the people that have just, um, you know, kind of been sour on this whole promoting snowmobiling, whole forecasting idea of just kind of poo-pooed over it, you know, you know, and stuff. And I don't want to drone on too long about that, but just, you know, I, I guess, um, you know, um, one for the haters, I guess. Hmm. Okay, well, I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to take the high road on this because I think that's the, the best uh, road to take. And I any in-person interaction I've had with people who follow my website is overwhelmingly positive. I mean, it, it's, it's been fantastic. Um, the negative feedback I've received are from people um, on the internet. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's a saying that the internet, um, you know, encourages people to do things and say things that they wouldn't say to people's faces. And that much is true. And I think, how I've kind of gotten over that hump was, you know, I, I got a handful of people who don't like what I'm doing here, and I got a multitude of people who love what I'm doing. And if I let um, what you know these people think about what I'm doing for the people up here, I'm depriving thousands of people of my help. And that's and that's just how I see it. And um, there's been occasions where I've I've met some of my haters. I've ran into them, you know, face to face and they either don't, you know, they either turn around and they recognize me and turn around and walk away or don't say anything or, you know, they, 
you know, we have a brief conversation about maybe what our differences are. And, you know, it's never come to blows. And I don't know if I've changed their people's minds about what, what I do, but um, you know, that's that's not up to me what they think of what I do. I, I, I know in my heart I'm helping thousands of people. I'm helping the, the tourism economy in this town. And and I think uh, whatever whatever a uh, few small bad things I might have done over the years is is overwhelmingly buried by the good I've done, and that's that's how I um, that's how I deal with it. And and you know especially in the early years as I was getting upstate snow going and you were you know you are still growing, but, you know, both of us have grown exponentially since we met each other 10 years ago and once I launched Upstate Snow 10 years ago. But I remember in those earlier days, the few were very loud and the people that were following and were given the attaboys, there were not as many of them as there are now. So now... I look at the size audience that I have right now, and I look at the size audience that you have right now, and it's so overwhelmingly positive. Like you said, 90 plus percent, that for us not to get up and seek to swing and knock it out of the ballpark every day would just be depriving them, and we would let so many more people down than people that um, you know that may have a difference of opinion, uh, let's just say. And that's where I'm going to leave that subject right now, just to say, you know what? Keyboard Cowboys, hi-ho silver, yippee-ki-yay. Um, but uh, in the real world, we do good work. We know who we are. And God has blessed us and has made us tremendously for this. I'm so glad that you persevered and survived. I am glad that I persevered and survived and that we can have this conversation and look forward to a better day in snowmobiling. Which, speaking of, looking ahead to snowmobiling, looking ahead to the coming years, what do you think is the biggest issue for snowmobiling? And what do you think we can do as promoters to help with this issue that you identify? Well, I, I've got two main issues, and I, I'm not sure what we can do about it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot it anyway. I, I think for the uh, immediate future, um, the, the seemingly shorter winters, what are we going to do about that? And number two, I, I think at the expense of the sport, I mean, there's brand new snowmobiles now that are costing uh, 20000 plus, um, almost twice as much as I paid for my first new car uh, 25 years ago. So I think those are the two biggest ones. Um, now, you know, the, you know, the other ones like, you know, the significant ones like um, uh, securing enough volunteer um, help for, um, to maintain the trails. I think um, going forward, I think, and I've seen examples of this, of clubs being uh, creative and how they go out there and uh, get new volunteers where they, you know, they go to, um, they go to uh, like, a, like a school function, you know, these different public functions and have outreaches where they can grab a, you know, a certain number of people to, to help, uh, help them out. Um, in any volunteer organization that I've ever been a part of, whether it's a snowmobile club or church or whatever, you know, that the fact is that 10% of the people are going to do 90% of the work. I mean, that's just, 
that's just the way it is. I, I don't want to sound like I'm throwing my hands up, but it's good to recognize what the reality is so you can try to, to, to try to grab as many people uh, to get into your organization and hopefully uh, help out with um, you know, trail grooming, uh, accounting. All the, there's a whole bunch of stuff that needs to be done for clubs besides running a groomer or turning a wrench. So it, it takes um, you know many different hands to, to do it. But I think I think um, going forward, you know, we as, as snowmobile clubs need to be creative and proacting. You know, reaching out, realizing that we're not going to grab everybody or even a lot of people, but hopefully we bring in enough people to keep the keep it going. That's really a good point, especially with, you know, clubs like, uh, you know, Southern Tug Hill. I think about, you know, what Chris Rink has uh, built in that organization over the last several years and how he's been able to bring people in and how he's been a good delegator and has really helped that club just to grow and just to shine. Uh, not only him, but uh, several, you know, several other examples that I can think of. Uh, of clubs that just shine and go above and beyond uh, expectations, and uh, hopefully they're the models for um, you know for you know for other clubs uh, out there. But particularly with the lighter winters, there really isn't a whole lot that we can do about that. All we can do is just um, make the most we can of the snow we've got when we've got it. I mean that's really the bottom line. There's re there's really not much there's really not much more to that. Right, and the, the thing is, it's a matter of accepting the things that you can't change and controlling the things that you can. I, you know, if, if snowmobiling is something you really want to do, uh, you'll you'll make it a priority and, and find ways to do it. Um, you know, even for you know for crazy people like me, I mean, the cost of it goes up, but I keep finding a way to keep doing it. So, um, you know, there's no end in sight for me yet, but I've seen. You know, I've seen people say enough's enough. You know, it's the winters are getting lighter and the sleds are getting more expensive, and I'm out. And I, I've seen that. There's a, you know, I've been at at IL Snow for 20 plus years and snowmobiling longer than that, and I've seen a lot of people come and go. You know, come and go, and and one day I'll be gone. I don't know what shape or form that'll take, but you know, people are going in and out of it all the time. But I think, as a whole. I think there's going to be enough people snowmobiling involved in the sport. There's enough money being uh, pushed through the sport to keep it going. I, I don't know what it's going to look like in 10 or 20 years, but um, hopefully I'll be around to find out. Yeah, hopefully I'll be around to find out as well. Um, let's talk about and let's end the podcast on this. How about some good snowmobile stories? Um, I, I, I'm up for a good snowmobile bedtime story right now. Um, so the floor is yours, uh, whether it was with me or whether it was with uh, crazy Cal or whoever it was, or whether it was one of your solo infamous mega milers have at it. The floor is yours. Oh gosh. So many. I don't, <laughs> oh, I could, I could go on all day and I, I'm not even sure how I could pick the best one. But I'm just going to pick out the one that just popped up to mind. Just, you know, you said Crazy Cal, and, you know, Crazy Cal is, is where it's at now. Um, we were, it was Crazy Cal, uh, Matt and I, we were riding a speculator, having a grand old time. And 
for some reason, I had to get home and do something. I, I couldn't keep riding with the boys. It was some family thing. I don't remember what it was now. This is probably like 15 years ago. And um, I said, I got to go. So we were in Perkins Clearing, and we were at the intersection. I think it's like Carpenter Hill Road and Jessup River Road in the back end of Perkins. And we're at the intersection, and if you take a left, you're going towards Paseco. If you take a right, going back up towards Indian Lake. And there's a sign. There's signs that say Paseco this way and Indian Lake that way. You know, and all it's like we're all heading back up to Indian Lake. We're all taking a you know we're all taking a break. We're all heading back up to Indian Lake. For some reason, Cal just takes off and he's heading to Paseco. He just like blasts off. And Matt and I were just like looking at each other, like we just could not believe what was happening. It's like, you know, I, I, I hate to embarrass Cal because he's, he's a good friend and everything, but he understands. <laughs> so Matt and I were just like, Matt and I were just like looking at each other. It's like, you know, like a few minutes go by, and we're like, oh, you know, he'll he'll come back. And like minutes go by, and minutes go by. And it's just like, I'm like looking at Matt's like, dude, I gotta go home. <laughs> so I'm like, so I'm like, Matt, you're gonna have to go find Cal and tell him what's up, and I'm just gonna have to head home. And, and, and Matt found him like miles down the trail, and I don't know where. I, I think maybe Cal would have realized it if like once the trail narrowed and like they're going down towards the outhouse, but but that was miles away, and it's just it's just you know it's just it's just a small story. Um, amongst the many probably thousands of them i have so um yeah i guess i'll leave you with that one it's just it's just a microcosm of how cal and i operate um you know i've got i've got the good geo mind and you know cal sometimes i wonder if he can find his way out of a, of a phone booth if you can remember those but um but <laughs> he's gonna kill me if he ever sees me <laughs> You know, we've we've been friends. We've been friends since kindergarten, and we've been we've been ex, we've been um, exchanging barbs for over forty years, and we're kind of like brothers. You know, it's you know we we pick we pick on each other all the all the time, but if somebody picks on the other, um, you know, we've got each other's back. So um, you know, it's 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 a lifetime of friendship, and you know there's a whole bunch of people i've met over the years running isle snow that i wouldn't have met otherwise and probably you and it's kind of weird because um you know we were both uh, meteorology majors in suny albany and were you like a couple years behind me or how i mean i mean we weren't that far apart but we never crossed paths or anything as far as i know yeah we never did you graduated my freshman year so we just we were just passing ships. So I mean, part of the part thing about snowmobiling that's great are, are the relationships, the friendships, the experiences that are, most other people don't get to have, and that's you know that's something I, I I'll carry with me through the rest of my days. And you know I'm not done building on that yet. I, there's a lot of years left. Absolutely, and uh, this one's for Crazy Cal. And I can't wait to get back up there to ride with you, to ride with Jim, to ride with Bill, to ride with Gordy, uh, to ride with Zach. Most importantly, my you know my son, you mm -hmm. know, and that's really 
that's really why we do this. This is why we spend all the money. This is why we root for snow. This is why we go so crazy just for those few days, just for those few moments of it, perfection. It, yeah. And to have is, that. Yeah. The thing is getting on perfection. We know that it's not going to be perfect everywhere. And while we don't want the trails to be 100% bumpy and rough everywhere, part of the thrill of snowmobiling is you never quite know what's going to happen. It's the anticipation of what could happen. And frankly, some of the best snowmobile stories are the ones where the trails were horrible and your sled breaks down and, <laughs> and everything happened bad. Although you, you, don't, you don't want that to happen, but sometimes those are the best stories. I will never forget um, with my son 10 years ago, uh, actually, I think it was, Eight years ago, I think I think it was 2013 when the uh, 2013 or 2014 when the belt blew in the old uh, 92 Safari 447, um, and we had to change the belt on the trail uh, because the belt was just gone. I mean, just gone. And it's 35 degrees. It's a Tuesday in March, and there's hardly anybody on the trail. But yet, two people came by. And one of them was very helpful to us in getting it on. We got it on. We finished our ride. We had a great time. And we still remember it to this day. And then um, the one night that Zach and I went uh, up in Deerfield. Um, and I told him, because the trails were relatively new and it was December, I said, don't get too far over to the right. You know, the, the trail's not built up there yet. Don't get for, too far over to the right. So what yeah. did he do? He got too far over to the right. Got too far to the right. And got right stuck. There. And we got stuck there for an hour and a half. It's a Tuesday night. It's 10 degrees. It's towards the end of December. There's nobody around. Nobody out. <laughs> but yet, the only people that we saw in five, six hours on the trail came by right where we were stuck uh, off of S75 mm. and helped and helped to horse us out of there. And we were so, so thankful for that. That camaraderie with being a snowmobiler. Yes. That camaraderie. Yes, and that's another thing you remind me of is that we help each other out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, even when I'm just like sitting on the side of the trail taking a break you know, and by myself, even if I'm not like I don't have the hood up or I'm waiting for help, People will slow by or, or slow down and go by, and you know they what they do is they give the thumbs up, like asking if everything's okay, and then you say thumbs up or whatever, and then they go on their way. But the point is, they cared enough to see you know you know see that you were all right. And there's been times where I set out to go on a ride, you know I got a mega miler or whatever, and I see someone stuck on the side of the trail. And I know if I help him or whatever, I may not get the mega miler in, but it's never a thought for me not to stop. It's, you know, I'm going to help this guy uh, get his ride going again or get back to the truck. And then whatever riding I happen to do after that, I do. But I figure the reason I went by this guy in trouble is because, you know, there's a reason for me to do that. And I, you know, my reason was I, I needed to be there to help that guy. So it's it's a camaraderie, camaraderie. We help each other, and that's another great thing about snowmobiling. And what better way to end this podcast than with that? 
owner of ilsnow.com, one of my best friends, and it's always a blast to talk with you, Darren Har, president of the Indian Lake Chamber of Commerce, Mr. ilsnow.com, Mr. Indian Lake. Yeah. Put Indian Lake on the map. Thank you so much for joining us for this awesome Trail Talk podcast. We'll see if we can work you back in maybe towards the end of the year. Maybe, you know, maybe we'll do a throwaway episode later at the later in the year, maybe when the trails are toast. Hey, look me up. I'm always around. Okay. Help people every day in every way, regardless of what it is. And that is the Trail Talk podcast for this January 18th, 2022, here on UpstateSnow.com. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts and videos, visit UpstateSnow.com.